to an unexpected launch. I'm drawn to hearing and sharing stories of others who found themselves in life-altering circumstances, who've used their unexpected situation to propel them to growth, action, and transformation. Those who are taking challenging life experiences to better the world around them. A few months ago, I attended a fundraising event for Alexander's Hope. It was there that I heard Bella, the president and founder, share her personal connection with Alexander's Hope. As I listened to Bella speak, I was captivated by the trajectory of her story, her strength, and vision. I've had the opportunity to get to know Bella, and I'm thrilled to be sharing her inspirational story. Bella, welcome to an unexpected launch. I'm so honored to be speaking with you, and thank you so much for joining. Yes, thank you. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So, Bella, one of the things that I was really drawn into immediately was your longstanding love of nonprofit work. How did you first get involved with volunteering? I first got heavily involved with volunteering when I was 12 years old. It was during the summertime, and I went to Uganda for the very first time. I had a family friend who had started a school there, and my the high school I was at, actually, or I was at the elementary school for the high school, but... Uh, the high school had a bunch of students um, go to Uganda that year. So I went with the high schoolers, my family friends, and my mom. We went for a few weeks that summer, and that's when my heart was completely opened up to nonprofit work, and I discovered my passion for it. So I think uh, there are so many of us who do volunteering in our own community. What was it like to go to Uganda as as a 12-year-old? It's just seeing the world from a new lens and you're seeing things that you haven't seen before and some things are hard to comprehend or things that you've heard and you've maybe seen on tv or online but seeing it in person is a whole nother story and then actually interacting with the people there uh that was my biggest takeaway was just how circumstances didn't these people weren't like brought down from their circumstances they were brought up um, and they just exuded so much joy and it was a beautiful place. What do you love most about nonprofit work? I love the feeling of giving back as so many people do just knowing that you are doing something for somebody else which in turn it helps you it helps you feel a sense of importance and worth and value. You have a younger brother, Alexander. Tell us what it was like growing up with Alexander. It was great. Um, Alexander was and still is the kindest person I've ever met, a true peacemaker. He has always loved piano and art, having a fascination with bugs and sea life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so 2017 was a life-changing year for your entire family. Could you please describe what happened that year? Yeah, so in the summer of 2017, the lives of me, my family, and Alexander got turned completely upside down. In started in May of 2017, Alexander experienced an episode of severe pain in his chest. It caused him to struggle to move, and he ended up at a hospital where he was told he suffered a panic attack. And for the following months, he went about his days thinking he had anxiety, he saw a psychologist, he took medications, got massages, just anything he could do to help. And about over a little over a month after his very first episode, 
he had another one at a good friend's house. Then later on that summer, in the, the mid-end of July, my family and I took a hiking trip through national parks in Arizona and Utah. It was during that trip we visited Arches National Park and did the Delicate Arch hike. We were all having an absolutely amazing time. We went up to the top, took a bunch of pictures, and we're about halfway through our descent down. My mom yelled out to my dad, sister, and I, who were just a few strides ahead of her and Alexander. And we all turned around and saw Alexander hunched over on the ground. Uh, he, we ran over to him and he was feeling immense pain in his chest. His legs had given out. And after a long time of him sitting in the shade, it was clear that he wasn't going to get his strength back right then and finish the hike. So my sister and I, we ran down the rest of the mountain in search for a park ranger. We didn't find one when we got to the bottom. So we hopped in the car to either find a park ranger and wave them down or to get cell service. We ended up getting cell service before finding a park ranger. I frantically called them, tried to search for the number before losing cell service again. And I was able to speak with someone who sent a single ranger up to get Alexander and then a team following back behind with a stretcher. So Sophia, my sister, um, and I, we drove back to the, from the parking lot, parked the car and ran up the mountain. And once we got to where Alexander was, there was uh, the single park ranger that went up was already there. And he was assessing Alexander. And shortly after, Alexander was strapped to a, the one wheeled stretcher and they carefully wheeled him all the way back down the mountain. And we, we were believing it was just another panic attack. Um, so once we made it to the parking lot, we put him in the car and drove back to our hotel. Alexander went to bed early that night and then he managed to have a really decent time during the remainder of our trip. He laid low, but still completed parts of hikes and spent a lot of time with the family. And the day after we returned, which was maybe, maybe four or five days after that uh, episode, my mom was still really, really worried about what happened to Arches and just had a bad gut feeling. And though he had been diagnosed with panic attacks at the hospital and was seeing specialists for it, she still believed something else was wrong. So she made an appointment with our naturopath for the next day and brought him in. And shortly after they received an early morning phone call from the naturopath, very worried about Alexander's results. So from there, he went to a medical imaging facility and then was sent to the hospital. And late that night, he was sent via ambulance to UW Medical Center. It became clear that Alexander had a bicuspid aortic valve and was in dire need of a heart valve replacement, something he should have had in, back in May. Um, and being too sick to immediately get surgery, the next morning, he was taken to receive a coronary angiogram, expecting to see my parents just like an hour after the imaging was complete. And it was during that time when Alexander was back there for the scan, he flatlined and had to be resuscitated. He, went, he ended up getting the surgery uh, for the heart valve, even, even though he was deemed too weak. He was placed on ECMO for nearly a week before it was deemed that his heart would not beat on its own ever again. And from there, he got his heart removed and got an artificial heart placed inside of his chest. A few days after he got the artificial heart, he started to wake up. He was atrophied. He was unable to move. Um, a lot of time had gone past, a lot more than an hour. 
and he was disoriented, had severe hallucinations, and stayed that way for a number of days. But finally, once he came to, we had to break the news of his artificial heart and how much time had passed and just everything that had happened during that time. He ended up having his artificial heart for about a month until he was finally put on the transplant list. And we were expecting to wait months or years for a heart to become available. So my family and I, we started to do research and comprehend what life would be like if Alexander had to have an artificial heart for that long and what it would be like to bring him home with an artificial heart. And miraculously, he did not wait years or months or weeks. In just uh, just eight days after um, he was put on the transplant list, he it was found. They found a donor heart for him. And on September 9th, 2017, Alexander received his heart transplant at the age of just 19 years old. And a month later, he was sent home. What an incredible story, especially when you think that I think. Most um, healthcare providers don't think of cardiac issues in young individuals, and I know that that's something that awareness needs to change, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But, you know, from your perspective, you're hiking and, and he collapses, you know, that's certainly what happened subsequently was not what any of you were expecting. So you'd mentioned that around the time of, of his coronary, coronary angiogram, he had flatlined and needed resuscitation. What did you think about in the moments of hearing how serious his condition was? I didn't think at all. I, I really just couldn't. I was in complete shock. So when we, we got to the hospital and we we're trying to figure out, or I was trying to figure out what was going on and everybody else that Anybody that knew any parcel of information was also in complete shock. So it was hard to, A, wrap my brain around what was going on, and B, get like the actual, like what is actually going on. We um, ended up in a tiny little, tiny, tiny little windowless room um, in the hospital. There was just a bunch of chairs in there, and that's where it was like my family, extended family, friends. Just people that, more people than we could have ever imagined to be in that little room. We just were praying and crying and holding each other and trying to all grasp the situation. So, as you mentioned, um, it can take a long time for a heart to become available, for any type of an organ to become available. You waited for, for eight days can you describe your, your emotions upon hearing that a heart intended for Alexander had become available so quickly? I, I was blown away. I had, we, we couldn't have, we couldn't have known. We were expected, you know, to wait months or years and just thinking about Alexander's quality of life with the artificial heart. It's a wonderful, wonderful um, piece of medical equipment that saved his life. But the thought of bringing it home was really daunting. And I remember when I got the call that Alexander had um, gotten a heart. So I was in the hospital all day, every day with my family um, when everything was, everything was happening. And eventually I had to fly back to California, which is where I was living at the time. I was doing a continuing studies program and needed to get back. And at this point, Alexander, you know, he had his artificial heart. He, it was right around the time he got put on the transplant list. 
and he was expected to be there for a little bit longer and then get sent home with the artificial heart where my parents would take care of him. And I, so I was, you know, back in California and I get this text from Alexander in our family group chat. And it says like something along the lines of like, they found me a heart. And I look at that and immediately I'm like, I start shaking. But at the same time, I was like, well, you wouldn't joke about this, but also why, how, how did you get it so fast? And why on earth are you telling me via a text message? <laughs> so I picked up the phone. Um, I called Alexander and just from the tone of his voice, the second he answered, I knew that it was, he got a heart. I didn't know how, I didn't understand it, but I knew he had gotten one. I you know, started bawling and arranging my things and figuring out how to get on the next flight back home. Um, it was just, we were complete, just completely blown away and grateful, not only that he got a heart, but also that we didn't, we didn't have to take him home with the artificial heart. And he was able to get his recovery started a lot sooner than anybody anticipated. That is an incredible gift. You don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, who donated Alexander's life-saving heart. What would you say to his or her family? I would hug them, probably cry, and thank them for the beautiful gift that they gave to Alexander. And not only to Alexander, but my family, myself, and every single person that knows Alexander. They gave him the ultimate gift, the gift of life, and you can't thank somebody enough for that. There's absolutely no way to thank somebody enough. Witnessing a family member in a life a life-threatening situation is absolutely terrifying. You fear the worst, you fear the unknown, the potential loss. Where did you turn to for inspiration during the time that there was so much unknown with Alexander's health? Yeah, so during during that time, I just really turned to my friends, my family and God. We were really, really lucky to have an incredible support system during the time we were in the hospital. Uh, there was a constant stream of people that came that came to the hospital and that sent gifts and phone calls and flowers and even some people that, some of my friends that came that took me out of the hospital for an hour or two when I need, like my I needed to get out of the hospital and I didn't know it myself. So it was really just the people that um, came to take care of us. You, you definitely need that um, during during those times. You need to turn to something outside of yourself. So when I was hearing your story during that fundraising event, the thing that I found so fascinating was you've had this longstanding love of nonprofit, of giving back, of, of helping out your community. And I love that you took all of that passion that you had and you were able to take that passion and combine it with this unexpected event in Alexander's life and your family's life. And you ultimately founded a nonprofit named after your brother called Alexander's Hope. In, in honor of Alexander, are you able to pinpoint the moment that you had that vision for the organization? Yes. So there was kind of, kind of two moments that come together to combine how it really started. Um, the first was a day or two after Alexander had gotten his artificial heart. So it was late one night after a full day in the hospital. I was sitting with my parents. We were in their kitchen. And my mom and I were on the computer um, looking up 
artificial hearts, researching heart transplants and organ donors and stats around the topic. Like how many people are organ donors and just trying to understand it better, more in depth than we ever had before. And it was during that time we realized the need for more people to become aware of organ donation and the need for so many things. And so we kind of toyed with the idea of starting a nonprofit and especially with all like my studies and everything that I've done, I've dreamed of working on a nonprofit. And so we talked about it a little bit, but at the time it just seemed really unrealistic. And fast forward a couple weeks, we're still in the hospital and the idea of a nonprofit was still on my mind. I had done some more research since then, but again, I was trying to you know, push it back to get through what I was getting through right then. And at that time, a really good family friend had reached out to my mom and she told her that she wanted to do something for Alexander. She wanted to start a nonprofit for Alexander or just do something, but wasn't sure how to start it and called my mom to see if she could come meet. My mom then told her about what she and I had talked about and that I was a person she should be meeting with and basically connected us and sent me over there. So I ended up meeting with her and we spoke, we both shared our ideas and she really gave me the confidence and the courage to begin the journey of starting Alexander's Hope. You know, I think that sometimes when when something happens in our life that is so life-changing, it can be paralyzing almost and and you feel that you don't know how to move forward and and in your case, you took all of this momentum and it, all of this happened really relatively quickly. And I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So tell us a little bit more about Alexander's Hope. So Alexander's Hope is a nonprofit focused around spreading awareness of organ donation and alleviating any misconceptions around organ donation. We're also working towards updating Washington State's driver's ed video and class time where they discuss organ donation and the importance to become an organ donor when getting your driver's license. And though that is at a young age, it's the first time you get the opportunity to do so. And along with that, we work alongside the Nick of Time Foundation, which provides EKGs and if necessary, echocardiograms to high school students to test for undiagnosed heart conditions while teaching them CPR and how to operate an AED. That's fantastic. So. Ultimately, what is your, what's your dream for Alexander's Hope? I have so many dreams for Alexander's Hope. I'm not sure which or how many directions we're going to end up going to down the line, but some of the things I would love would be to have either some sort of truck or building space to screen individuals, uh, something that's open multiple times a week that anybody can go to and we'll have a team of doctors working in there. I would also love to take it international um, if the opportunity ever arose. Well, I'm, I'm sure with your international travel and your <laughs> <laughs> your determination that I I see that in your future. <laughs> uh, so going back to organ donors, approximately 50% of Americans are not registered as organ donors, despite the fact that it's it's simple. It's so simple just to denote on your driver's license. What would you like those individuals who are currently not organ donors to know? The first thing I would want them to know is just clear up any misconceptions about organ donation. There are a lot out there and 
Um, even though we might not think so, there there is. And just really clearing that up for people is would be my first step. After that, I want them to know the story of Alexander and the story of so many other individuals who've gone to live due to an organ transplant. Stories of people both young and old. I would also want them to know stories of people who did not receive a life-saving transplant in time. On average, 21 people die per day waiting for a transplant due to the lack of organ donations, and that is something we can change. I would want them to know that donating your organs can save up to eight lives, and just one organ, eye, and tissue donor can save and heal more than 75 people. It's absolutely that's astounding. And I think probably a lot of people don't realize the impact that they could have or that a family member could have in a time that it's such despair for them, but what it can offer to another individual and family. So you mentioned that you're, you're partnered with Nick of Time and you, you gave a little bit of background about what they do. How did you become involved with Nick of Time? So I first became involved with Nick of Time when I was well, to back up a little bit, we I had had this dream, me and one of Alexander's surgeons had met a couple times, and we both had the idea of doing some sort of heart screenings for youths. We didn't know how it would look or what how it would play out or how we would do it. And so we had a handful of meetings where we where we brainstormed this idea. And then after one of our meetings, the surgeon, he sent me an email. And he told me that someone else at another surgeon at UW Medical Center had just told him about the Nick of Time Foundation and he was he- that he was like heavily, heavily involved in. Uh, so I you know, I looked him up and I contacted them. And a lot of times when I had contacted other people or organizations, I like crossed my fingers and hoped to hear back. And I almost immediately I heard back from Darla and Sue, which are the ladies who run it. And we set up a meeting. They are the most beautiful people. Um, They told me what they're doing and shared their story with me as I shared mine with them. And I immediately knew that I wanted Alexander's Hope to be involved. And they're just doing what we dreamed of doing in a way that is, you know, it's already set up. It's already so much better run. And we want to be involved in any way that we can. So during our um, our first meeting together, they had invited me to their next screening and I went there, I got to see how, like, just how well-oiled machines they are, just how they get the kids through and do their screenings, and then how many kids they found do have a, um, a heart condition during, during the screening itself. And so we met a few more times, I started volunteering at their screenings, and we ended up partnering. And now Alexander's Hope contributes to their mission as program sponsor, and we work on a lot of things together, which is really exciting. I love that collaboration. That That's fantastic. And I look forward to seeing what you both do collectively. So it's been almost two years since Alexander received his heart transplant. How's he doing? He's doing really well. So he's still figuring out what he wants to do. But as so many people are that are in there, like 20, 21 years old, and he's taking some taking some classes, dealing both mentally and physically with everything that happened, um, but doing a really good job at it. He is just gathering himself and seeing which way, what he's interested in, what he loves to do, how he wants to live his life. Well, I'm certain that he, he looks at living his life 
quite differently than probably other young men and women his age, uh, knowing that this sort of the second chance that he's gotten. Uh, is he involved with Alexander's Hope? Yes, so he is on the board of directors. He attends board meetings, and he also goes to our events and usually speaks at them also. Fantastic. I'm sure people love hearing from him. Oh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. So as, as you and I both know, life does not go according to plan. And as Alexander's sister, you witnessed his life-threatening condition and subsequent recovery from a heart transplant. What provided you the strength not only to be a source of support for Alexander, but to start a nonprofit in his name? The unwavering love, support, and encouragement from those around me really, really spurred me on, as well as just having so many people trust in me. Once the nonprofit had the idea had started circling and I started talking to more people about it, just the amount of people that trusted me and gave me resources to start expanding and connected me to me with people was just beyond more than I could have ever asked for. And just knowing that these people had put that much trust in me gave me the courage to know that, you know, I can do this. Like I have been, I've been on so many like internships and volunteering with nonprofits. And it was what I've always dreamt of doing, but having that backing of people is what really, really gave me the courage to know that this is something that I can do by myself and start and yeah. <laughs> I think that it's fantastic to watch a community pull together when something like this happens. I think oftentimes we're so busy day to day doing our own thing. And, and just from my own experience, when my son was in um, his, his car accident, the things that our community did to pull together and support us as a family it just absolutely blew me away and I felt so lucky. And so having that community really give you that support to keep going is so incredibly important. So for those who are listening to the podcast, how can they get involved and contribute to the amazing work that you're doing? So uh, first, they can become an organ donor if they're not already and encourage others to become one as well. Advocate for us donate, host a fundraiser or awareness event. They can ask me for Alexander Soap gear. I would love to give it to them and they can wear it around and spread our message that way or volunteer. We have some events in the works and one coming up fairly soon that we will need volunteers at. And even if we don't have anything coming up right away, I can just having you in the, you know, knowing that people are there to help us when needed is just incredible. Fantastic. Is there anything that we haven't covered today that you would like listeners to know? I would like everybody just get your kids screened, get your loved ones screened. You can't, you cannot tell a person has a heart condition by looking at them. You really, really can't. And it never hurt anybody to be sure. Fantastic. Bella, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I've absolutely loved speaking with you today. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me share my story. Absolutely. And as I always do with each of my podcasts, I will be sharing resources in the podcast notes, and those can be accessed either through iTunes or through the, um, the podcast on my website. So please, if you're listening, be sure to check out not only the links to Alexander's Hope, but some other resources with regards to organ donation. Again, thank you, Bella.
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share an unexpected launch with a friend. Aidan Duncan produced this episode and composed the music.